0: lives. A number of years ago, I was reading an article in Today's Christian about a mother who was struggling, dealing with her college-age daughter's rebellion and her drug abuse. Now, I don't know about you, but there are moments in life when we feel like we have no control. We want to. We want to see things done in a certain way, but we feel powerless. And this is how this mother felt. She said, I knew what I had to do, abandon everything in my life and to start worrying and fixing and controlling. Isn't that kind of an interesting response to, you know, a daughter that's causing difficulty? And isn't that kind of what we do when we run into struggles in our lives? Immediately, worry goes in, we try to figure out what to do, we try to come up with the answers, we try to fix, and we try to control situations. She says, I began to spend my days... On the phone, evaluating every reaction of my daughter Allison. What if she never stops taking drugs? What if I never see her again? What if she overdoses? What if she goes to jail? Doesn't she love those what if questions? And of course, I think the devil is right there handing them out to us. You know, you think of the first what if and it just continues. And we can just paint such a bleak and dreary and a bad picture, you know. And so I eventually lured Allison into therapy with the promise of eating out at her favorite restaurant. I wanted to go into that counselor's office, but I wasn't allowed in. I probed my daughter, trying to figure out what was happening, but no answers were forthcoming. This went on for a number of weeks, just when I thought she was no longer using, her younger sister informed me that she still was. Of course, she denied it. What was I to do? I called a friend whose child had gone down a similar path. I hadn't slept... Well, for months. A quick look in the mirror revealed that I looked like the addict with those dark, hopeless circles under my eyes. Arriving at my friend Linda's place, the first thing she said was, You need help. No kidding. You haven't heard the whole story, I said. I'm fine, but my daughter's a mess. And that's when Linda confronted me. No, you're addicted. No, I'm not. It's my daughter that's got the problem. No, you're addicted to worry and you're addicted to control. Ouch! That possibility that she would, could be right and probably was right was very terrifying. She later brought me to a support group that I had to learn to trust God and allow God to work in my loved ones' lives. That night when I ride home, I prayed, "God, I need your help. I can't do this without you." I purposely and daily turned over every fear, every concern, every worry, and surrendered every controlling situation into God's hands. Two years later, meeting with my daughter for an impromptu lunch, my daughter, laughing, stated that it was a lot easier studying when you're not high on drugs. And then she surprised me by thanking me for letting go. For one, I said, When you didn't fix my problems, it scared me. A few times I had to dig for change out of my car seat for gas money. Some days I didn't have enough food, but now I'm doing well in school and I even have money in the bank. Recovery defies logic. It means doing the opposite of what you often feel is the natural response to the situation. When I took care of my life and my own addictions... To worry, fear, and anxiety, God helped my daughter take care of her addictions. Isn't that an amazing story? Do you know it's really hard to let go when you want to hang on? You know, it's it's really a difficult thing when everything inside of you says, I should be doing this, and yet God says, I want you to do the exact opposite. I want you to just totally trust me in this situation. Well, what's the real answer to anxiety? Is it a medical problem? Or is it something far deeper? If anxiety is a spiritual problem, which the Bible tells us that it is, well, then only a spiritual solution will help us overcome this terrible tyranny in our own lives. Isn't that true? That's right. And I'm here to declare to you today that anxiety is a spiritual problem. And if we don't deal with it with the right tools, we're just going to be fooling around with it. We're going to be messing with band-aids. We're not going to be addressing the root and core issues. As a matter of fact, Peggy Noonan in a Forbes magazine article shares how 11 men and women were asked to answer the question, why are we so unhappy? They all agreed that they were unhappy because they had lost their moral and spiritual center. As Noonan stated, a poet... W.H. Auden called this era the age of anxiety. I think what was at the heart of the dread in those days was that we could tell we were beginning to lose God, banishing him from the scene and from our own consciousness, losing the assumption that he was part of the daily drama of its maker. It's a terrible thing when people lose God. Life is difficult and people are afraid and to be without God is to lose man's greatest source of consolation and coherence. Poet Auden describes his age as an age of anxiety. Why? Because of an abandonment of God. And the Apostle Paul states this in in our condition before we actually knew Christ. In writing to the Ephesians, he says it this way, Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise. And then he says these powerful words, Without hope, and without God in the world. No God, no hope. When you have God in your life, you have hope. And hope is a very powerful element in addressing anxiety. Anxiety is nothing more than losing hope, and hope is lost when we don't see God in the picture. And the Apostle Paul challenges us in this letter that we're turning to this morning, the letter of Philippians, to not allow anxiety to operate in our lives. And so he kind of sets out a number of things. And I'm going to look at three things that can be done to address anxiety in our lives. And I would write these down so you'll remember these things. Or maybe you already know them. Maybe you've mastered them. I don't know. But we'll look at them this morning. Because if you're dealing with anxiety... This is what you need to hear this morning. This is how you need to apply. As a matter of fact, you know, if I was able to write a prescription, you know, doctors do that all the time. They write out a prescription, right? Well, I'm going to use my doctorate this morning to write out a prescription to all of you that are dealing with anxiety. And here's the prescription. Number one that the first thing we need to do to address anxiety is to always rejoice in the Lord. Now think about what we're saying here. This immediately speaks to my relationship to Christ. Am I a person who rejoices in this relationship? Do I get up in the morning, first thing I do is thank you, Lord. I'm I'm in this attitude of gratitude. I'm, I'm in this element where I'm looking to God and I'm rejoicing in the grace of Almighty God, that he would show his love and favor to me, his child. Now, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Am I living as a worshiper? Am I delighting in him? Do I express joy in being his child? What an amazing thing. You know, I love, I love getting my Bible and my journal out and I sit down and I don't know how many times when I'm reading the Psalms or whatever, or how many times I start my journal, first thing I say is, Lord, I am so thankful. I am so eager. I'm so delighted. I, my whole hope is in you. My, my life is centered in you. I rejoice in your grace and goodness. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord when you feel good. Rejoice in the Lord when things are really going well. Well, it doesn't say that in the Greek or in English or in any other translation. It just says rejoice in the Lord always. And then to really emphasize. How many know when you start repeating things, it's, it's for an emphatic purpose? He's trying to emphasize this in their mind. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. We are admonished. This is an imperative. God is telling us this is good for your mental well being. So, if you don't know Jesus, what can you rejoice in? How great you are, how good looking you are, how smart you are, how much money you have. Hey, you know what the only problem with all those things is? They all diminish. That's the problem with it. Isn't that true? Hey, you know what's good about rejoicing in the Lord? It doesn't matter how young, how old, how smart, how not so smart. It doesn't matter if I'm having a good day or a bad day. It doesn't change anything. I can continuously rejoice in the Lord. It says rejoice in the Lord always. We're commanded to delight in Him, to thank Him, to adore Him. There's something healthy about praising God. Listen to what the psalmist writes. It says here, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. You know, where does Paul come up with this stuff? Well, from the Old Testament. He knew Psalm 34. He knew he was to be thankful. How many of you, that's just the way you roll? You know, thanking God. You just, you know, just, it's just part of who you are. It's just like breathing for you. It's just this attitude of gratitude. Or are you kind of that kind of a person, grumpy? Upset, uptight, miserable, unhappy, frustrated? Which kind of a person do you want to be? How many say, I want to be delivered from being an uptight, frustrated, grumpy, miserable person? Anybody here want deliverance from that? You know? How many say, I would really like to see that happen in my neighbor's life, in my spouse's life, in my kid's life? Right? How many know it's a lot easier to hang with somebody who's a happy camper than somebody who's a grumpy person? And it's amazing. You can have two people experiencing the same thing and one is content and the other's miserable. I love that story told of the two little kids. You know, they were you know, shown this massive room and little kid walks in. He's a grump. They take him in. There's all of these toys. He walks around the thing, kicks a few of the things, sits down. Pretty soon he's bored out of his mind. Other kid, they brought him in. Room is full of horse dung. Manure. Little kid grabs the shovel, starts singing and whistling and shoveling for all he's worth. They go, I don't get it. How can you be so happy? He says, with this much horse manure, there's got to be a horse in here somewhere. (laughs) You know, it's a matter of our attitude. You know, that we have a certain mindset. It says here, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. What is anxiety? But a state of emotional unrest caused by real or imagined fears. Here's the good news, folks. You're sweating and there's no reason for it. Half the things you're worried about will never happen. I would even say probably for the really the worry warts in this room, 99% of what you're worried about isn't going to happen. Look at all that energy being expended. Worrying, fretting, you know. Hey, can God take care of you? How many say, you know, God's done pretty good so far. He's done a good job. He's taken care of me. You know, he's watched out over me. He's, he's looking out over me. Isn't he not doing that? Of course he is. So why is he going to stop doing it? He's not. That's the whole point. So we can just be filled with gratitude. He's our father. He's going to take care of us. God is able to deliver us from all our fears. If we turn to him, look to him, trust in him, our focus shifts from our problems to God's ability. You know, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, I love this. He says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, he didn't say for all circumstances, he said in all circumstances. There's a big difference. You know, I don't give thanks for negative things, but I give thanks in spite of those things. I can give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for me and for you in Christ Jesus. You know, and why can we give thanks in all circumstances? Because God is in all those circumstances. He's with us. He's there for us. All we need to do is trust Him. You know, it's amazing sometimes when you have a whole bunch of negative things go wrong, you can just say, okay, God, I, I wanna, I'm just so curious how you're going to handle all this. I'm just so interested in how you're going to you know, make these things that seem so negative to me turn out for good. And yet He, he has an ability to do that. In our situation, the Bible says that we're to live in, our, in praise. As a matter of fact, Psalm 22:3 three says, "Yet you were enthroned as the holy one; you are the praise of Israel." In another translation, says it this way: "But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel." In the sense, there we're getting an idea that God is dwelling within praise. God inhabits our praises. You know, there's a sense of God's presence when we're praising God. How many sense that God's presence is greater when you're praising God than when you're complaining? Anybody notice that? How many sense that when you come to church, you may be in a negative mood, but the other people that are in a positive mood are praising God and pretty soon your spirit lifts? How many people say, I always feel good to come to church and I always miss it when I miss church because I I miss that sense of being lifted in my soul? Why is that? Because in the praises of God's people, God's presence is realized. It all tells me it's about our reality of our relationship with God that helps us overcome the painful and difficult circumstances of life. Notice how the believers in the book of Acts were filled with the Holy Spirit and they expressed such joy. As a matter of fact, in uh, uh, Acts 5.41 it says, the Uh, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Now, they had just gotten beat up here. You know, so they're leaving, you know, after being beat up, leaving rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. How many think that this is really an abnormal approach to life? This is really not the natural approach to life. How many say this is probably not what most people do in their troubles? is rejoice because of them. How many, you know, we just don't do this. We go, what's wrong with these guys? Aren't they human? Aren't they normal? And the answer is yes, but they have something greater to rejoice in. Psalm 16 verse uh, 11 uh, says this, in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. The question we have to say is, you know what, do we sense God's presence? Are we cultivating, in a sense, God's presence in our life. Do you follow what I'm saying? You know, I think we have to, you know, yeah, we're saved by grace, but I think we cultivate the presence of God in our lives. Now, how many know that if you're in a relationship and you don't communicate with that other person and eventually you become emotionally distant, that you know what, there's a neglect of relationship, right? And it's a hindrance in that relationship to move forward. How many know that's true? Just on a human level. You have to cultivate human relationships. Does anybody know that? Hey, how many here have friends? Anybody have friends? What do you got to do to have friends? You got to cultivate it. You got to work it. Otherwise, you don't have friendships. You know, some people go, I have no friends. All that tells me is you're not cultivating them. Right? You know what? You have to work at it. It takes effort to have friends. It takes effort, folks. You have to cultivate these things. It takes effort to cultivate this relationship with God. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Listen to what happens when the Holy Spirit, when we're walking with God, there's a sense of God's presence in our life. Listen to the fruit of the result of God's Spirit in our life. What is it? Is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many know that's the opposite of anxiety? How many can sense those terms really are different than what anxiety? When people are anxious, they're uptight. They're frustrated. I mean, are they full of joy? No. Are they full of peace? No. Are they full of patience? No. Are they full of kindness? No. Are they full of goodness? No. You see what I'm saying? It's the very opposite. So I'm just pointing something out to us. If anxiety is an issue in our life, and sometimes we get attacked, I believe it's a tool of the devil. I believe discouragement is a tool of the devil. I believe anxiety is a tool of the devil. I think these are spiritual problems, and I think there are spiritual solutions to dealing with these things in our lives. The Apostle James tells us to consider pure joy when we experience life's difficulties. You know, this, this verse has always intrigued me. I have to admit. But when James says, consider it pure joy. I mean, he didn't just, you know, it's another, it's it's the emphatically stating this, isn't he? He's trying to get it across. This is pure joy. You know, usually you think pure joy is winning the lotto or something. You know, right? That's how we think as North Americans. But this is pure joy, he says. What's pure joy, James? He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds pure joy. Have you ever meditated on that? Thought about it? This is pure joy. Lord, I thank you for all these problems in my life right now. This is just pure joy to me. You're looking at me like, you're insane. You know, there's something wrong with your head. This is what creates worry, pastor. This is what creates anxiety. This is what creates frustration. James says, no, 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 no. This is what creates pure joy. But why does it create pure joy? It creates pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith develops something inside of you. And see, when faith becomes the number one most important thing in your life, then you can look at trials this way. But if faith is not the ultimate supreme goal in your life, if it's comfort or security or you know, fun or pleasure or some other thing, then you won't think that these trials are pure joy. But if you say my faith is the most important thing, that I'm not just living for myself, I'm living for Almighty God and I'm living to bring glory to His name and I know that my time on earth is short and I'm going to spend all of eternity with God and what I do on earth is going to affect what's going to happen in eternity, then I can say, boy, Boy, is this good for my soul? This is good for me. I'm growing. I'm learning to persevere. I'm learning to become strong in my faith. I'm learning to trust Almighty God. Then he goes on to say Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. What is God in the business? of maturing saints. What was Paul's main purpose? I was reading the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Colossians in chapter 1 and verse 28. He said it this way. He said, My purpose is to present every man or woman mature in Christ. And therefore, I warn them and teach them to help produce that maturity How many think it's a great thing when a child grows up and matures? You know, we like little kids. I've got grandkids now. It's fun, you know. It's work. You know, I'm glad I'm a grandparent and not a parent. Because it's a lot more work being a parent. Isn't that the truth? you know and i can have my little granddaughter run up and goes poppy and she gives me 10 kisses and i put her in her bed there but i know that if the big issues come along mom and dad's going to take care of that right this is good it's a good thing right and you can enjoy that but really you know at the end of the day you know if they remain in an underdeveloped state it's not good it's not a good thing folks we want them to mature, grow up, right? So our faith is now mature. This is how faith in God is fashioned. That's why we're rejoicing. That is the tool to develop Christ likeness in our lives. The enemy in our soul tries to use trials as a wedge between ourselves and God if we allow it. But if they're designed to be tools to develop a cl- but they're designed to be tools to develop a closer union between ourselves and God. Okay, Jesus said in the world you're going to have trouble. How many accept that? It's just going to happen. Arm your mind. It's going to happen. Don't be shocked when it comes your way. Oh, I got a problem. Like, whoo! this is a surprise to me. You know? And that's sometimes we act like, you know, and I see it all the time. And Christians go, doesn't God love me? Why is he letting this happen in my life? God loves you. That's why he's letting it happen. You have a choice now. You can let it be the wedge to drive you apart or the glue that brings you together. And you know what's true And even in our marriages? We're going to have troubles. And those troubles are designed to bring you together. But you know what? Most of the time it does. It drives people apart. What was designed to bring people together it drives them apart. See, we have the wrong understanding of problems. We think the problem is the problem. And I'm telling you, that's only the symptom. The real problem is how we're going to handle the problem. We have a choice. We can learn to trust God. And if we're rejoicing in the Lord, you know what? We have this confidence. God's with me in the problem. I'm always intrigued to see how God is going to help me through the problems. And the more difficult the problems, the more creative God has to be. How many of that's true? Listen to the book of Romans. I love, this is one of my favorite chapters. See, I've got a lot of favorites. Romans 8. Don't you love this chapter? And I love the end. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Question mark. Is trouble going to separate you from Christ? I hope not. Should not. But I've seen it. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are what? We are more than conquerors. You cannot have victories without battles. You know, I want to live the victorious Christian life, Pastor. Okay, get ready for the battle. You know, get ready for the trouble. It's going to come. You know, but it says, you know, but we're more than conquerors through him. It's not in my strength. It's in his strength through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. Some people are walking around scared of demons all the time. Let me tell you something. To the child of God, no big thing. You see Neither the present. Some of us are anxious in the moment. Some of us are struggling with our current reality. But you know, some of us, we're anxious for tomorrow. We're afraid about, can God take care of me when I can't take care of myself? Come on now, are we afraid of that? Sure, some of us in this room, we're afraid of that. I want to give you the good news. He's going to take care of you until the very last day of your earthly day day on this planet. God will be with you right to the very end. He will be right there greeting you as you step into eternity. He says, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yay! That's what I think of trouble. God is with me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Right? Okay. Step one. First antidote to trouble. Anxiety is a trouble. It's it's annoying. Right? What's the first step? Rejoice. You got that one down? Here comes number two. Second step, we need to restrain ourselves. Oh, that's so hard, Pastor. We need to get a control of ourselves. But you know what it says when we're full of the Spirit, we have self-control. Isn't that good? You know, when we're surrendered to God, the result will be self-control. Rather than allowing the circumstances of life to define us, we're looking to God to help us respond to the challenges, the difficulties, and the distresses of life. Look at verse 5, Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness, the NIV says, it. King James says, moderation, be evident to all. The Lord is near. You know, I have to just say to you, I'm a, I'm a moderate. I don't know if you know that. I, I don't tend to be an extreme person. Because I think when you're mature, you, you tend to be more moderated. You don't tend to be all over the map. You know? You don't... When I was a brand new Christian, man, I was on the ultimate roller coaster. I would have the most amazing highs... And correspondingly, I'd have the most amazing lows. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? I would even describe myself as a yo-yo Christian. You know what a yo-yo is? How many know what a yo-yo is? Yeah, there's a little toy. You know, up and down and up and down. And there's a lot of Christians. I could frame them. They're yo-yo Christians. Up and down and up and down. Or They're the rollercoaster Christian, you know. Man, there's times when they're on a high, they're telling they're telling me how to run the church. They've got it all figured out. They've got to figure everybody else's problems out, but when they're on a low, it is bad. It is I mean, they don't just stay up there. You know, they just come soaring down. They, they go past go. They don't collect $200. They just go crashing down to the basement. You can hardly lift them up. They're missing church. You know, everything is wrong. They're miserable. You know, they're unhappy. Life is stinks. You know, where is God? Doesn't he love me anymore? Hey, three weeks ago, you were telling us how to run the church. Now you can't even get yourself to church. How am going to hear what I'm talking about. Is that moderation? No. I like the slow and steady. You know, we're in a marathon, folks. If you want to run fast, go ahead. But I don't think you're going to sustain that speed for the long haul. Pick a pace. Run it well. It's the idea of forbearance. You know, the idea of not being easily offended. We don't get upset. How many know there's a lot of reasons to be offended? Oh, man, I can find all kinds of... You know, if you want to find fault, you're going to find it. Guarantee you. There's a lot of things. You can get critical. You can get fault finding. Uh, Hey, you want to pick on me? There's all kinds of things to pick on. There's improvements. But you know what? That's true of all of our lives. You know? Love covers a multitude of sins. You know, when you love somebody, you go, yeah, I know that that's a weakness in their life, but I still love them. How many are appreciative of the fact that God still loves you even though he knows all your problems? Isn't that great? You know? And how many know that when God first saved you, at least I'll speak about myself, when God first saved me, what a mess. Why in the world would God pick on me? I mean, unless I was the ultimate project He had to work on. You know what I'm saying? That's what I felt like, the ultimate project. You know, I'd come to church on Sunday. I was so broken, so messed up, you know, so many broken areas in my life. And every single Sunday, it was just, it felt like. I don't know if there was anybody else in the church. The pastor was having a conversation right to me. It would seem like, you know, he knew my week. He was speaking right into my every situation. It was unbelievable. I was crying. I was laughing. I mean, it was like, wow. You know, I would even go to church sick because I didn't want to miss. Because I didn't want to miss what God had to say. I mean, I was like connecting to God. And this was amazing what God was doing. And he's been doing it ever since. He continually works on us, you know, this idea here of being moderate is this idea of being a tempered person being a forbearing person, being a forgiving person, being an understanding person, not easily rocked, not upset, you know somebody's screaming in your face and you're going, they've got the problem that's how I think if you get upset with me and you're, you're losing it I just keep thinking, you've got a problem, even though I may have to deal with something, you've got a problem Can you see it? We're not moderate. There's a lack of anxiety when we have the right attitude towards other people. When we stop trying to be in control, when we stop trying to make others do what we want them to do, even if it's a good thing, even if it's a God thing, even if it's the right thing, whenever we start stressing about how those we love are not doing healthy, godly things, we only make the situation worse by our frustration and our anger. That's the truth. You're exasperating the problem, not helping it. Even though you want the right ends, the means is not the right way to get there. You know, Dr. Lo- Martin Lloyd Jones says it's always easier to express ourselves than it is to restrain ourselves. Isn't that true? Well, I'm just telling you what I think. You know, sometimes what you think, I don't need to know. Isn't that true? You know? thankful I don't always tell you what I think (laughs) comments are made to me and I just go okay I could say something here but I choose not to just let that go I want to retain that relationship right this verse is calling us to rejoice in the Lord and calling us to be like the Lord how was Jesus treating people it's amazing he's gentle You know, it's a great example. I'm going to give you an amazingly great example. Remember the story of King David and King Saul? Remember that? You know, and David now is the son-in-law to King Saul. But King Saul is so insecure. I got to just stop and talk about that for a minute. Why should he be insecure? Was he not chosen by God? Okay, now if you and I are called by God and we're God's children, why should we be insecure? I'm just raising the question. What's your insecurities about? All insecurities are looking at whom? Self. So if you're insecure, you're looking at the wrong person. I'm helping you today. Get your eyes off yourself. You say, yeah, but i got a lot of deficiencies, Pastor. Yeah, we all do. Don't let it hold you back. Look up. Look at the one who created you. You have been designed by Almighty God for a purpose. You just got to figure that purpose out and do it. Don't worry about everybody else. But, you know, Saul was so insecure and he was so threatened by David that, you know what, he pursued him. He tried to kill him. Isn't that true? And you can remember how David kept, you know, every time Saul thought he got David, the tables always turned. When you read the story. And David had a whole bunch of times, at least two for particular, he could have killed Saul. And even his men were going, this is the moment, David. God has delivered your enemy into your hands. And David goes, says, no, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, in Second Samuel, he said this. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. What was David's attitude? I'll let God deal with it. I'll let God handle this. I am not going to step in and do something stupid and affect things. You know what David showed? Great restraint. David showed great moderation. David showed great wisdom. David realized When God is ready to dispose of Saul, God will. I don't need to. Was that wisdom on David's part? It sure was. Because eventually people began to follow David. After Saul was killed by the enemies of God's people instead of David, you know, what you sow is you're going to reap it. David, just let God handle it. How many here in your lives, there are situations that are creating anxiety in your soul and you want to go deal with it? You know what God's saying to you this morning? Let me handle it. You need to show restraint. You need to show moderation. You need to show control. But this doesn't mean that moderation or gentleness means indifference to evil or falsehood. It's not peace at any price. It's not talking about compromising truth for the sake of relationships. Rather, what Paul is talking about is mastering our own spirit and maintaining self-control in the situation. We need to know what is worth contending for and what is not. In other words, a little expression, I need to know which hills to die on. And you know what? I learned a long time ago, there's not too many hills I'm willing to die on anymore. Very few. But when I start contending, you know I'm prepared to die. Because I'm only going to contend on those areas that I'm going to be prepared to die on. Notice the expression says that the Lord is near. Let your moderation be shown. The Lord is near. There's two thoughts here. And the first one is simply that God's presence is near, which certainly is true, and He's there to help. And the second idea is that He's coming, and His coming is imminent. And he's going to address all the injustices of life. That's a hope that we all have. God will deal. You know, everybody thinks, oh, this person's going to get away with this. I go, no, they're not. No, they're not. They may get away with it in this life, but they're going to stand before Almighty God. And I have this little thought, I don't want to be in their shoes standing before God after what they just pulled. How many ever thought like that? I thought that way. I said, I better watch my own soul because I'm going to stand before God. And we do know that, you know, we're not allow, we should not allow evil to overcome us. And the only way not to allow evil to overcome us is to show good, is to be gracious, is to be moderate, is to bless. Let me move on to the third thing, running out of time. The requests. Okay, here it is. Rejoice, restraint, request. What do you mean request? I love verse 6 because I was a real worry word full of anxiety. This was my favorite verse as a new Christian. It says, Do not be anxious about anything. Wow, that's a strong language. Can I say it again? Do not be anxious about anything. Rather, or but, rather what? Pray. But it's not just pray. It says here, we are to, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Let me just unpack this verse, and then we'll come to an end here. What is this text stating? We take everything to God. We bring everything to God. But isn't prayer and petition the same thing? Is there there any sort of distinct difference between the two? I think there is. I think the order's critical. So what's the difference between praying and petitioning God? I think prayer... uh, well, first of all, I think prayer is primarily communion with God, which begins in a certain manner. Petition is what I'm asking God for. Prayer is a general term. It's a bigger, all-encompassing term. And I like what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Joy says. Prayer is the most general term, and it means worship and adoration. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? I think there's a, you know, some of us, I had somebody ask the question, why doesn't your church say the Lord's Prayer? You know, the Our Father who art in heaven. Why don't we do that? You know what? Here's what you need to know about prayer. That is not... It's not that we say the right words. That's not true prayer. That's magic. That's what people do when they practice magic. They say the right... They conjure and they say the right words to produce a certain effect. That's superstition. Here's what prayer is. When you, Jesus said, When you pray, say, Our Father. What does that mean? It means recognize that when you come into God's presence, you have a relationship with God of such a degree of intimacy that He is your Father and you are His child. That puts you in a certain platform. How many know that children have a different access to parents than other people do? How many know that's true? They're in a state of what? Dependency. And the parent knows that. So a child can come to a parent and then they're in need that parent is going to attend to that child because they're in a state of dependency. God says, when you come to me, recognize your state of dependency on me. But you have that relationship, that intimacy with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, obviously, you know, we're identifying the Father in his sphere. And it says what? Hallowed be thy name. What's hallowing the name of God? That's adoration and worship. That we are actually coming into God's presence with the right frame of reference. Do you know what happens when I begin to worship God? What happens to me, the worshiper? My thinking gets changed. I'm put in a different state. As a matter of fact, the greater my understanding of how great God is and the deeper my understanding of my privilege before Almighty God, the greater the joy that comes into my heart, the greater the awareness of His presence is, the greater my sense of identity of how great God is and His capabilities, what happens to my problems in that sphere of relationship? It begins diminishing very quickly. You see, why we're so anxious is that we are not really trusting God. That's what I'm really basically telling us. We're looking to ourselves. But when we're in God's presence and we see God for who He is, it changes our whole understanding. As a matter of fact, I love Isaiah 40. You know, Here's Jacob complaining. Jacob is the nation of Israel. It's another name for the nation of Israel. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by God. What are they saying? God, you don't care about me. Where are you, God, in this mess? Isn't that what they're saying? Come on now. That's what they're saying. But listen to what he goes. Isaiah goes on and says, Surely the nations are a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. If all the world is just a drop in the bucket, or just like fine dust that can be dusted, we need to know that our problems are tiny compared to how great and powerful God is. Some may wonder if God is so powerful, then why does He allow evil and suffering? This could easily be a number of sermons, but I'll just quickly state two powerful reasons that God even uses suffering and evil even for a greater cause. And Randy Alcorn in his book, If God is Good, says, if suffering reminds us to stop taking life for granted and to contemplate the larger picture. Isn't that true? That's what happens. Because isn't it true that for most of us we're distracted by the things of this life? And until God strips a few of those things away, we just stay enamored with this world. But the moment we lose these things, all of a sudden it causes us to pause and to consider, which is a very good thing. And secondly, Paul insists that our sufferings will result in our greater good. For we know, Romans 8.28, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Why is God doing this? Because ultimately He's conforming us into the image of His Son, which is God's design and purpose for all of our lives. God's people will be better off eternally because they suffered Temporarily, As a matter of fact, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Do you know when we get to heaven? Oh, let me go this way. How many here now, there was a big crisis in your childhood somewhere? Anybody? There were moments you felt crisis. Now looking back in hindsight, you're an adult now no big deal right but at that time it was the biggest thing in your whole life what i'm saying is whatever you think the big deal is now in hindsight you'll look back and say that wasn't such a big deal once you've matured some more is this making sense to you see we're in the moment we're in the pain of the moment this is where we're at in the moment but you know what i've noticed as i keep walking with god i keep changing I keep growing. I keep maturing. I look back down. I, I look back at some of the things I used to freak out about or stress about or worry about or get uptight about. I look back down and go, peanuts. And I was stressed over that. I was like losing it. You know, did I tell you the time that, we know, Rachel, we're living in the States. For all of you poor Canadians don't understand medical, how good we have it here. Let me give it to you. We were actually paying $600 a month for insurance that didn't cover most of what we got. I'm just painting a picture. And so we found out that Patty was expecting, which was a shock to both of us. And all of a sudden, I recognized that our medical coverage, which had very poor maternity... I mean, like, you know, we are I'm 40-some years old, early 40s, 41. Patty's 39. And, you know, we don't think that Pregnancy and maturity coverage is that important. So we you know, lock into some other things in our medical program. So when we found out that she was pregnant, that created a huge angst in my soul. Because down there, you got to pay for what the insurance doesn't cover. You guys follow this? Okay, so I'm working at changing our coverage because I go, okay, good, we have nine months, right, to get this done. And I have it all set up on May the 1st. Our new coverage is going to kick in with all this great maternity coverage. Patty's due on June the 10th. But April 30th rolls around and Rachel decides to be born. One day before the coverage kicks in. And she's six weeks early. And how many know anything about preemies? That creates some complications. And you know, little Rachel hung out in the hospital for two weeks. This is in the U.S. in the prenatal nursery. And that I'm, I'm telling you, a doctor walks in, signs a piece of paper. I got the bill, and it's all, it's all down to everything you... See, you guys don't even know what it costs, because we don't even get that bill. It's all down in detail. Every time the doctor walked in and took a look at that charge, cost me 250 U.S. dollars. And after a while, I'm going, please don't come in. <laughs> She's doing fine. <laughs> I'm stressed out of my mind. You know, he, you know when, when Andrew was born, it was a great joy. When Rachel was born, I'm stressing over finances. What I should have thought. You know, this is a big deal to me, right? And I get the bill. $20,000. Yeah. I was stressed out of my mind. But you know what? When I look back now, what a nutty attitude to have. I should have just been happy and not worried about it. God would have taken care of it. And you know what he did? Because... In God's goodness, the next day kicked in. It was May 1st. A lot of the things I thought I was going to have to pay for were now in our new coverage. Thank you, Lord. And so I ended up with a $4,000 part of the bill. I only had to pay 4000 That's different than twenty, by the way. You know, and so I paid it off. And at the end, I went to the hospital because that was the biggest bill. And I said to them, listen, I've paid off everything else, but I got to do you in installments. Is that okay? And they said, sure. How do you want to do it? And eventually we paid her off. <laughs> She's all ours now, right? <laughs> now why am I telling you this story? Because I was worried. I was anxious. I was frustrated. And God just taught me this beautiful lesson in hindsight. Why were you worrying about that? I took care of it. Amen. And some of you are here today. And anxiety fills, rules your heart. You got this to worry about and that to worry about. You know, sometimes I go, okay, God, I don't know how we're going to do everything, but I've just been with you so long that I know that somehow it's all going to work out. I don't have to worry. I just have to rejoice. I don't have to worry. I just have to be restrained and let you work in this situation. I don't have to worry and be anxious because I can petition you and know that you are going to deliver me even from the evil one. Isn't that amazing? You know that Lord's Prayer? I just, this is a little side note. Deliver us from evil. It should be the evil one. It's not evil in general. It's against the very dominion of darkness. God will take care of you today. You are worrying needlessly. Be happy. I think there was a lot of truth in that little contemporary song. Don't worry. Be happy. I think they cued in on something. They didn't even know it. They were queuing in on what God's word have to say. We can be happy because we know Jesus.